Welcome to Stories Behind the Stars podcast, dedicated to honoring the fallen heroes of World War II. Today, I have the opportunity to interview Adam Earls. Adam, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to this project? Yeah, of course. My name is Adam, and um, I uh, I'm a, I live in Texas. And um, like uh, many people of my generation, both of my grandfathers were in World War II, all of my great uncles. It's just you crawled up on grandpa's lap and asked stories. And uh, uh, so I'm also a veteran. I'm a Marine Corps veteran of the Global War on Terror. And um, <clears throat> so I was drawn to this project um, by my own family, by researching my former unit, um, by researching my ancestors, my wife and my myself, my our family ancestors units during the war. So that's really what brought me to this project. So you say your, your wife has... Um family in in that fought world war ii what's her connection with world war ii so you know my family is like as old as america and so you kind of lose that uh immigrant patriotism well my my wife's father's side uh they're they're filipino natives and her great-grandfather came here during the depression or just before the depression and I'm sure he was going to bring his wife and child, but the depression hit and America locked down immigration. So he uh, worked in uh, hotel kitchens and on a dairy farm. And um, and then World War II happened and uh, President Roosevelt signed this executive order allowing Filipinos to volunteer for the draft because non-citizens couldn't join the military. So over 7,000 Filipinos that were living in America volunteered for the draft and they ended up forming the first and second Filipino infantry regiments. So that's been one of my focus. Fortunately, he survived the war and that was his ticket to citizenship. And his daughter, my wife's grandmother, uh, lived a long life and I was able to interview her often of those early days and about her, her father. Um, so that's really sparked my interest, but you know, most people know about the 442nd Infantry Regiment, about the Nisei uh, Asian Americans, um, but not many people know about the 1st Filipino Infantry Regiment. So all these Filipinos that were living uh, basically in modern terms like green card status, uh, um, basically volunteered to the army and they formed this regiment to go back to the Philippines and they ended up going to New Guinea and then the Philippines, well, they had to deal with, you know, the racism of the day. They weren't given the glorious uh, invasion day uh, beach landings. No, they were given the, uh, the mop up operations, go clean out the caves of the Japanese. And it was just a slog fest for them from basically early 1945 until armistice. In fact, one of my favorite stories uh, that I did um, was on Teodoro uh, Galicia. And, um, you know, these men were also older. <laughs> uh, they were they were born in the early 1900s. Most of these men were in their late 30s. You know, I joined the Marine Corps at 18. And I couldn't imagine doing basic training at 35, 36, 37. Uh, but many of these guys did. Many of them were even older and they lied about their age. 
So um, uh, Teodorisio, he was, um, by the time he got into combat in 1945, he was 39 years old. And by 1945, there was already a P-38 law. Basically, if you were 38 years old, they knew the war was coming to the end. You could get out of the military. And he chose not to do that. And he slugged it out as an infantryman uh, on Leyte. And on his final patrol, he was wounded in combat. And it just so happened to be August 6, 1945, the day that we dropped the atomic, our first atomic bomb. You know, most people think the war is over, but the fighting in the Philippines lasted until September. I mean, even later, actually there's some stories of rounding up surrenderees later after the armistice. So he, not only could he have gotten out because he was old enough, uh, this man gave his life the day we dropped the atomic bomb over Hiroshima. Uh, when, if any, you know, generic student learns anything, you think, yeah, the war's over, but it wasn't for him. Um, and he would be the last combat death uh, for the first Filipino infantry regiment. So he's one of my favorites. Um, and that, that's kind of, it's just those stories you, you, it's all numbers until you get into these individual personalities. And I'm sure you hear that a lot. Yeah, I didn't, I did not know any, I mean, I've heard about the, you know, what you shared with like the Japanese in the unit in Europe, but I did not know about the Philippine unit. That is, my, my grandmother is an immigrant from Mexico and, um, and she also experienced in the fifties, you know, coming over in the fifties and not speaking Spanish. She experienced a lot of that, you know. Sure. I, I don't I just, know. Yeah. You know, it's, it, a man that couldn't even call his country his America, you know, he wasn't a citizen and he laid down his life. You know, that just, that says something. That's a really cool story. And I'm really glad that you're doing that research because these stories need to be told because they are, that's what America really is. You know, like that this idea that we can come here, we can work really hard. We can have these freedoms and we can enjoy this prosperity and it's worth fighting for. Wow. That is so beautiful. So can you tell us a little bit about your regiment that you were in in the war uh, in Iraq or not? Yeah, Iraq? so I served in um, the Marine Corps. I was in the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, uh, part of the 2nd Marine Division. And um, I was in the invasion of Iraq in 2003. And then I went back in 2004 and 2005 and fought through Fallujah. Um, and kind of a funny story. I've always been a little history nerd. But I had a senior Marine tell me one time, you know, I was so proud of my unit. And he said, ah, 1-8 really didn't do that much. And, and we're so, the 2nd Marine Division is known for Tarawah, you know. Um, and I said, oh, that was 2-8 mostly. And so that really bothered me for a lot of years, you know. And this was really pre-Google days. Well, in the many years afterwards, I've done a lot of research into my battalion. And it's just not true. He just wasn't informed. Now, don't get me wrong. 2-8 sacrificed a great deal on Tarawa, but so did 1-8. And um, uh, so the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines was on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Saipan, Tinian. And the 8th Marine Regiment is the only regiment from the 2nd Marine Division that fought on Okinawa. And um, probably a little known fact um, Lieutenant General Buckner, who was probably the highest ranking general of the Pacific Theater to be killed in action, 
was watching the eighth Marines fight through a valley when he was wounded in action. I mean, I'm sorry, killed in action. <clears throat> so just so much connection. So I wanted to, that really like sparked me to go digging. Uh, and, um, and I've, I've profiled several of the men. Uh, Private Robert Madden of New Jersey was the first Marine killed in action of the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. He was killed in action two days after 1-8 landed on Guadalcanal. The 1st Marine Division had been there since August. The 2nd Marine Division came in early November. They landed unopposed. They got thrown quickly into battle. It was this first night of combat, and hand-to-hand -hand combat ensued. I was able to get his casualty card, and he actually died from a bayonet wound. So it just, he, the, the young man was 18 years old. You know, and um, another favorite of mine, um, Lieutenant Tomlinson, he fought on Guadalcanal. He enlisted before the war, you know, like so many men, he went to find work, couldn't find work. So he joined the Marine Corps and uh, he ended up, he was a sergeant on Guadalcanal. He was wounded in action and I was able to find a letter he wrote back to his father saying the wristwatch he wore probably saved him from being seriously wounded because it's the shrapnel struck his father's wristwatch before it hit him. So not only surviving malaria and a wound on Guadalcanal, he goes to Tarawa and 1-8 was originally held in reserve. So we didn't land on the first day in Tarawa. We landed the, sex, the next morning. Uh, but communications were terrible and they didn't get the word to land in line along the pier separating Red Beach 2 and Red Beach 3. So they landed on file, just like the invasion forces of the previous day. And they got stuck in the reef, just like the forces of the previous day. And they had to go 500 yards, wading across that low tide, just being swept by murderous uh, Japanese machine gun fire. And um, they suffered over 300 casualties, just getting to shore. And people talk about Lieutenant Tomlinson just being everywhere, running back to the surf several times. And just, I mean, literally being everywhere was a common theme when they talked about it. And the next day he was leading, literally standing on a tank, pointing in the direction of Japanese emplacements when he was struck down by machine gun fire. Uh, he, he did die on, on Tarawa, but he was awarded the Navy Cross. Uh, one of six Marines from 1st Battalion, 8th Marines in our entire history that's been awarded the Navy Cross. So it's not a common occurrence. You know, his bravery was just that, you know, people talked about the men wept because they loved their lieutenant. And in those days, lieutenants came and went so often you probably didn't know their names half the time. Uh, but they knew Lieutenant Tomlinson and they cried for him. Um, and another 1-8 Marine that, that might be my favorite, just because it leads into a sports story. And I think that could connect with so many people. Newell Berg. Newell Berg played football for the University of Idaho first, and they transferred to the University of Montana, uh, Montana or Montana State, I believe Montana State. And um, uh, anyways, he commissioned in the Marine Corps, and he, he missed Guadalcanal. And Tarawa was his first action. And his bravery on Tarot got him a silver star. But, you know, those guys weren't, if you got a medal or got wounded, it didn't matter. You were there for the war. So what was after Tarawa? Saipan. And he landed on Saipan. And I was actually able to find a living Marine veteran, retired Lieutenant Colonel Dean Ladd. And he's written a book about 1-8. 
and um, he's he's a hundred years old. And he lives in Spokane, Washington, um, and he just he's still doing podcasts at least as far as a year ago. And he was on a Jocko podcast, um, and he talked about being on the beach, which was typically relative safety further in the battle, and um, the Japanese threw some artillery at the guys and Lieutenant Berg was hit. And as he's, it hit his femoral artery in his leg. And as he's bleeding out on the beach, uh, Dean Ladd says he looked at him. And the last thing Newell Berg said was get my men off the beach. Just um, immeasurable bravery. So um, that's, that builds a connection to uh, the men I've served with and what I've been through. And I'm, I'm just proud to stand on their shoulders. Do you have plans to write a book of the stories that you've been finding? (laughs) It would be a really (laughs) awesome book. Oh man. It just, one of the hardest parts is, you know, you, you get to know these guys and, but the saddest thing is, you know, the outcome of every single story before you even start it. So that's, that's a tough part, you know, anybody that wants to get involved, that's emotionally tough. It really is. It wears on you, but you just have to tell yourself these guys deserve it. And probably the uh, hardest thing and the saddest thing I've learned about this, you know, when uh, wars raging all across the world and over 400,000 Americans give their lives, they get, if anything, they get a blip in the newspaper, the size of a yard sale you know, and they just deserve so much more. So that's why I love this project and I, I love where it's going. So I, I'm going to keep doing what I can <laughs> to contribute. I, I really agree with you. I think they, my uncle was killed in World War II. It's kind of my dad spurred, you know, the project by his memory and things. And we go to visit his memorial on Memorial Day. We go visit his grave and, um, might have little kids and uh they we was driving in the car and he died in the philippines after the war was over actually um in a reconnaissance mission um trying to find lost um marines and and pilots that had crashed in the islands and stuff and anyways um when we were driving there my little three-year-old was like where are we going mom like oh we're gonna go see uncle myron's grave and she's like oh he's the man that died so that we could that people with different like color eyes. Cause I was trying to explain to her what Hitler was trying to do and that kind of things. And, and you know, yeah. didn't really denote, you know, Jewish, like that wasn't something she could really understand, but she could understand like that, the, the racist that was happening with, you know, discriminating against people's eye color, you know, heritage. And she's like, he's the one that died so that people with like different eyes and different families could, could be alive. And I'm like, yeah, he did. And she's like, Oh man, I love Uncle Myron. <laughs> and you know, she's this little three-year-old, right? But like, you know, we tell his story because he's part of our family. But so many of these men, their stories don't get to- told because either, you know, my my grandma, his sister, she had eleven children because she just didn't want his memory to be lost and and just wanted to live the life, her life to the fullest because of what he gave. Right. You know, but so many of these men don't have that memory and we have to preserve that. Even though we know the outcome of these stories, like people need to know the, the little details of these people's lives. Yeah. I, I love genealogy and, and, and family genealogy. And um, I have a great bit of military history in my family, you know, fortunately. And 
um, my dad did the same. And when I was a kid, I came across some of his documents and, um, and I came across, I was like, oh, Buddy Ernst, Buddy Ernst died in England. I said, why would my family member die in England in 1944? You know, but I was just a little kid. And, and, uh, and so I asked my dad, you know, dad, I was snooping through your paperwork when I shouldn't have been. And uh, who's cousin Buddy? And, uh, and he says, you should really ask your grandma. And I was probably about 10 years old. And I can still remember the exact moment. You know, the next family function, we go to grandma and grandpa's and I come into the kitchen off the back porch and my grandmother's preparing some dish. And, and I said, uh, uh, grandma, what, what happened to buddy? And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. She just kind of stared out her back window and never made eye contact with me. And she just said, Oh, everybody loved buddy. And it was so sad when he died. And that was it. And, at, you know, even at 10, I knew that conversation was over. So I take off running and go play with the cousins. Uh, but as, you know, as I grew up, I didn't give up. And I, and I started digging in and uh, he had joined the Army Air Corps, you know, at the beginning of the war. But he was a medic in a fighter squadron. And I thought, medics in fighter squadron in England, that's, you know, you don't die. And. So I, you know, I did some further research and uh, I was able to get, uh, uh, come to find out he died with a bunch of bomber guys. And I was like, well, that doesn't, that makes even less sense. So anyways, a bunch of sleuth work and come to find out he, uh, his flight surgeon from his fighter squadron was a pilot in the civilian world. Uh, took him and another soldier along with him because he had made some improvements to the uh, air respirators when the pilots bailed out and he wanted to run some tests. And so they drive an hour down the road to the local bomb group. It was actually the 389th and um, hitch a ride on a B-24 on a local training flight in England. And this is uh, January 28th, 1944. And it's, if you read the accident report, it's a typical winter day in England, cold and dreary and foggy. Uh, the plane takes off, gets to 3000 feet and some sort of explosion happens. And, you know, it's just terrible. This, this bomb crew is already a 25 mission survivor over mainland Europe. And, uh, you know, uh, the navigator and, and uh, the radio operator overcome by the fumes of the explosion. The pilot, they try and use the, I mean, it's very detailed. They try and use the hand extinguishers. They can't get the fire under control. The pilot gives the order to bail out. The doctor, um, who, by the way, I'm friends with his grandson on Facebook. We've made contact. I mean, it really links you back together uh, with people because People want to know, you know, it was, it was hard and it was sad, but 75, 77 years, you know, time has passed and now the next generation really wants to know. And um, so the, the doctor actually bailed out of the plane, but he didn't have his parachute strapped on properly. And I'm, I mean, it's just so detailed. He fell to his death and I presume my cousin witnessed this, uh, the bomber crew, the ones that weren't overcome bail out and uh he and the other soldier were just so overcome by all of that trauma and and fear and they decided to ride the plane and he passed away in a in an accidental aircraft 
um, accident, you know? And so that linked me to a cousin I've never met um, on Facebook again, you know? And I, I wrote this, we have a family page, you know, and, and over time she was in and I was in, but we didn't know one another. Well, I did that research and she said, that's, that's my uncle. And I have, and I had no pictures. I just had a picture of the grave and she didn't know the story. Well, I supplied the story and she said, well, here's 15 or 20 pictures of him growing up and in uniform. And so I was able to put a face with a name and I'm like, wow, I have his ears and um, that looks like my chin. And, you know, so these things really link you together. You know, he wasn't storming Normandy, but he was trying to save air crew that were going to bail out later over France and Germany. So he contributed to the war too. And, you know, that's one of my biggest surprises, I think, is um, the amount of aircraft accidents that the U.S. Army Air Force has tolerated in World War II. The U.S. military would stand down and probably not fly for six months if a quarter of those accidents happened today. Um, but those men deserve to be recognized, too. They still gave their lives. You know, they, they were training just as hard to try, you know, and they're just as valuable as a, as a guy who did die on Omaha Beach or on Leyte, you know, Okinawa. It's, it means the same to me. Yeah, totally. It's it's a sad part of World War II. And, and I feel like where we're at today, technology-wise, is because they pushed through all of that as well, you know, like developing so much Oh, we reap the rewards every day. Absolutely. Yeah, every day. And we don't realize, you know, everywhere we're at with our technology is because of what a lot of things they did for us, you know? Yeah. Sitting here in my car doing a podcast and probably a lot of it's just developed. In oh, I give up most of my Saturdays and every one of my lunch breaks just to learn more about these guys. It's addicting. <laughs> um, and it can be overwhelming. Sometimes I just have to stop and take a break for a few days or weeks. You know, it just, it's sad. It, it's, I'm humbled and I'm honored, but it's when you chip away from 400,000 to, oh, the Battle of Anzio or the Battle of Okinawa down to the individual squad and that squad mate writes home to the mother about how that person died. And it was just, oh, he's, you know, he was the youngest of eight children and grew up on a farm and, you know, like they were just kids like uh, me at one time and had hopes and dreams, just like all of us. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming um, and being with us. Um, we'd love to do another podcast with you. I think it'd be really fun, but um, we're trying to keep these to about 20, 25 minutes. So, but I, I think it'd be awesome to hear some more stories as you're doing more research, hopefully maybe later on in the year. This is yeah, been- absolutely. I'd love to. My current project I'm, I'm kind of focused on, uh, I grew up in a very small town in Georgia and there's a war monument on the square and uh I have my father, I don't live in Georgia anymore, but I have my father go take a picture of all those names. And I started researching uh, the 27 men from Pike County, Georgia that passed away in the war. And I have 27 more interesting stories for the next one. Well, um, yeah, let's, let's get you on here again. It'd be really awesome. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're at all interested in volunteering, or just want to learn more about our amazing project, please visit us at www.storiesbehindthestars.org.